Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Let's read our scripture. Continue our series called The Chair. And today I want to talk to you about a particular subject called Every Chair Needs Repair. Every chair needs repair. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 13. You can open your Bible or your device or just look up on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 13. I'm reading from the, the NIV translation. And everyone read it along with me, if you will. When he arrived, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God. When the men, a man entered the town and told what had happened, the whole town sent up a cry. The whole town sent up a cry. Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. We receive it, open our hearts, plant it like good seed into good soil, and cause it to bear fruit in Jesus' name. And everybody said, hey, you can be seated. God is good. I'm hoping that you take notes this morning because I feel like you're going to receive something significant today from the word. I know as I have studied this word, it has really spoken to my heart. And so I'm believing that I'll be able to impart something to you today. You know, my goal in life as a pastor and a preacher is not just to teach information to you so that you can be educated by it, Christian education. My goal is to speak to you something that I feel like is coming from the heart of God and impart it to you. So it's not just the words I'm saying, but I'm praying that God will impart to you what he's doing through his word. And so when you leave today, you're going to have a different way about you. I believe when you come when you, you, you may come one way. I believe when you leave, you'll leave a different way. That's what I believe. You may come in down, you're going to leave up. You may come in hurt, you're going to leave well. Come on, that's what I believe the Word of God does. The Bible said He sent His Word to heal them. So we believe that. Amen? How many have ever heard the phrase, you can't see the forest for the trees? You, you know, a lot of times I think that's how our spiritual walk is. We get blind spots and we don't know it. We don't realize that we are, we are having some issues and some circumstances and some situations, and we don't get it. And spiritually, we just keep going through the motions. How many have ever just gone through the motions? You know, uh, I remember there, there was a time that uh, we had a campus when I was in Oklahoma City, uh, 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 senior, uh, senior associate pastor at a church there. I, I, uh, we had a campus in Midwest City. If you don't know anything about Midwest City, Midwest City is where... Um, or Midwest City, Dell City area is where Tinker Air Force Base is. Okay, so Tinker Air Force Base, it's a city in and of itself. I think there's 5,000 people on the base itself. So when we were there, uh, <laughs> I, we went over to visit some folks that were new to the church. We were having some kind of new people's party or something, and we went to one of the people's houses there, and everybody was come, coming that was new to the church, and we were hanging out. And I mean, in the middle, we were in this uh, backyard, and they, we were cooking out, you know, and doing a hamburger thing. And all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, it felt like 50 feet above me, a huge airliner, a, a huge plane just came. It completely overshadowed the entire house and backyard and everything, and it was like, whoo. 
I mean, it freaked me out. I was like about to hit the deck. Like, what's, are we under attack? What's happening here? And this guy didn't even flinch. He just kept cooking the burgers and talking to him. How you doing? I'm like, did that not bother you? He said, what? And I said, that humongous plane that just flew over us. Did that not bother you? And he's like, man, I didn't even notice it. And what that's called is something called habituation. We, we as human beings can get so used to something that we find comfort there. Have you ever lived by a railroad track? If you, li- if you, if you uh, hang out with anybody that's lived by a railroad track for any period of time, you'll hear the railroad. They won't pay attention to it. It's not that they don't hear it. It's that they just have gotten used to it. It's not that they don't hear it. You hear what I'm saying? It's just that they've gotten used to it. And I think sometimes in our spiritual life, that's what happens to us. We have just gotten used to a mediocrity mediocrity in our spirit. We've just gotten used to kind of a lukewarmness or kind of a status quo. You know, this is kind of where everybody stays in our Christian walk, and this is kind of okay. You know, we're living our lives. We're adding Jesus to it. That's all good. That's all great. And we just kind of get used to it. So we start going through the spiritual motions. We do a little devotional. We do a little prayer. We do a little, uh, you know, connecting with God. We come to church uh, here and there, and we and we feel like, hey, I've got my I've got my spiritual thing down. And the truth is. Where's the passion? Where's the fire? Where's the burning in our soul for Jesus? Where's that crying out, burdened for our loved ones? You know, this whole uh, this whole message has been about the chair and about the chairs you see sitting beside you. And this whole series, can you feel that chair? Why is that chair beside you empty? Why is there not somebody sitting in it with you? Why haven't you brought someone to church with you? And all of us can ask this question. I invited people this week to church. None of them showed up yet today. But you know what? You know what? I'm just continuing to plant seed, and I'm believing God to bring them into the church, to bring them into relationship with him. That's what he wants for their life. That's what they need in their life. And that's what I'm going to do is make myself a person who can bring people into the house. And it's not, it's not our job to give the increase. It's not our job to fill the chair. It's our job to make the invitation. Remember, what is our job? Our job is to intercede. Our job is to invite. And then our job is to initiate. But it's God that changes the heart. It's God that increases. So if we'll just do our part, God will do his part. But sometimes we get so used to just living our Christian life that it really doesn't involve a burden to do anything else. And so I want to challenge you, let's not be used to it. Uh, you, you know, uh, uh, we have a leadership uh, uh, excuse me, a small group. It's a men's small group that meets every morning at 7 a.m. at the ranch house. Not every morning, every Tuesday morning. Yeah, some of the guys are like, yeah, I, I don't go every morning. You must be having a time by yourself. So uh, every Tuesday morning, 7 a.m., we meet for gre- breakfast, we fellowship, we hang out, and then we talk about biblical leadership. Yeah, how, do we, how, can we be, how can we be better leaders, better spiritual leaders? And so uh, we've got several people in that group, and so, uh, most of them are from here at the church, but we have others in the community that come and are part of that group as well. And every Tuesday morning, when we're having small group semester, we have that group. Every Tuesday morning. Every Tuesday morning. Every Tuesday morning. With rare exceptions, that group will be canceled. But every Tuesday morning. And in the last, in the last session, several times, maybe two or three times, maybe four times, 
I've been driving to ranch, the ranch house cafe down here for this small group for this breakfast and somehow, not sure how, end up in the parking lot of this church. Uh, why y'all wake up this morning? Why are y'all acting like nobody's in here? Have you never done that? Have you ever driven home and like, I don't even know how I got here. Some of y'all need to get off your phone. You know what I'm saying? We get into a groove in our lives, and there's nothing wrong with consistency and routine and going in the right direction. But spiritually, we have to engage the presence and the power of God so that our life will be revived on a continual basis. We shouldn't really honestly, and I mean this literally, we shouldn't have to ask God to send us revival. I'm going to say it again. We as Christian believers, spirit-filled believers, should not have to ask God send us revival. Because our life should be in a state of revival. Our heart revived, our spirit renewed, excited about the things of God, impassioned, emboldened about the things of God, walking that line where we're not used to it. And whenever we do get to that place where we're just used to it, we should shake ourselves and go, why am I just used to the norm? Listen, I I believe that God wants us to live the way he established the church in the New Testament. How many of you agree with that? I believe we should see miracles. I believe we should see healings. I believe we should see deliverances. I believe we should see freedom on people who are addicted. Why? should we see that because that's the norm in Jesus it's not the norm is not for those things not to be happening the norm is for the power of God to be moving through his church yeah that's it so you know we can't afford to get used to any kind of mediocrity and we find that that's what was happening in Eli's life we find that something something dangerous spiritually happened in his life we find that This great man of God, this priest, this leader of the people of Israel, something dangerous. His his life really is is a cautionary tale for spiritual leaders and for believers in Christ. His life is genuinely, truly an example for us to keep from allowing this to happen in our life. Um, I have a recliner at my house. How many of y'all have a recliner? I love my recliner. And uh, my recliner, I've had it for a long time. And it used to be in our living room. And then I put it in my office, you know, to sit there and read. I got light on. It's a good recliner. It, w- it was a good recliner. And, 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 and you know, that recliner just, it, it, it was with me through thick and thin. You know what I'm saying? I mean, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? When you have a good relationship with your recliner, it's a, it's a good thing. It's a positive thing. And, I, and I, I would go home. If I'm tired, I kick my feet up and just relax and, and just maybe take a nap like Sunday afternoon, go home, try to watch a football game, end up asleep. I mean, that is the life of a pastor right there. I mean, come on. You think it, we th- you think we just go home and and uh, and just do more church we do we 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 lay before the lord in jesus name so I, I, this recliner was so comfortable and so broken in. You know, it's one thing to have a recliner, but there's another thing to have a recliner that's broken in. You know, and this this recliner it was broken in, but then <clears throat> something happened. Uh, it 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 went beyond broken in and just became broke. 
And so every day I'd go into my office and I'd sit in that recliner. And this recliner was so broke down now that I would try to pull it up. And the, 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 you know how the feet thing, I would try to pull it up and it wouldn't even come up all the way. So it would just kind of like dangle down like that. So you're just sitting in there and your feet are just down. This recliner would make my legs go to sleep. Like I'm sitting on this recliner, but the way my legs were sitting, because they were going down at an angle, that, that dang recliner would cut me off right here. And, man, I'd be reading for a while, and then I'd be, oh, my, my legs hurting. My legs hurting. But guess what I kept doing every day when I want to study or every day when I want to have some quiet time or every day. Guess what I kept doing? Going setting in that recliner. And it was so bad. I mean, I would literally, my back started hurting. My neck started hurting. I began to disdain this recliner, this thing of comfort, this thing that was giving me rest. I began to hate its guts. I hate your guts, recliner. I hate you. I'm going to come and sit in there, and I'm wanting some comfort. I'm wanting some peace. But I come in there, and all I get is ridicule and torment, and my feet fall asleep. I hate your guts. I have a vicious, vicious relationship with this recliner. So you know what I did? You know what I did? I didn't do what so many men are tempted to do. I didn't push that footrest up as far as it go and then duct tape the handle so it'll stay. I didn't do it. I didn't try to make it work. You know what I did? I bought me a new recliner. And I, brought a, a, I bought a new one and I bought... I bought one that not only knew but was better. Y'all hearing me? Like, you just sat down and you're like, oh, this feels like my mom hugging me. This is so good. Electric this time. Don't even have to pull, pull no handle. Too good to pull a handle. I just push a button. My, le my legs would go up. And this has got like one of those zero... Um, uh, what is it called? Zero gravity. So it, it literally pushes out and then up and kind of sinks you down. So you're literally laying all the way back on your back. Like, whew, it's just a wonderful thing. All the pain goes out of my back. My life, it's, just, it's just a wonderful thing. And here's what I find interesting in our spiritual life. I find that in our spiritual life, sometimes we can get so used to the way things are and we're just going through it and we're going through the motions. We've kind of lost our passion. We've kind of lost our way. We really are just kind of checking the boxes and ticking the boxes and saying, hey, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm being a good Christian. But the truth is our Christianity is kind of broke down. The chair we're sitting in is kind of broke down. We, we won't acknowledge it. We won't act like it is. We just keep sitting in it. And even though it's starting to hurt and it's starting to get uncomfortable and it's starting not to be good. See, here's what you need to realize. When your life starts getting uncomfortable, a lot of times it's because God is making it uncomfortable. I'm not saying God's doing bad things to you, but I'm saying God will put you in scenarios in your spiritual life that make you uncomfortable so you'll realize, I can either keep sitting in this uncomfortable chair or I can change this chair out and get a better one. And it's amazing to me how we as Christians can know there's a better way. We can know that the power of the Holy Spirit can really manifest itself in us. We can know that there, that, that recliner will lift up and put us in a position where we feel healing and we feel peace and we feel we acknowledge the presence of God and we know that that's available to us we read it in the word we know it is but we'll continue to sit in the broke down chair and 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 for a plethora of reasons for many reasons we'll stay sitting there
One, because we're used to it. I, I have found that human beings really don't like to change. How many of you could be in agreement with that? I, I know that there are some people that are so averse to change that they will get anxiety over change. But do you know what I found about those same people? They love it when other people change. Are y'all with me? They love it when other people change. They love to see because they can see what's wrong with you and they want it to change because it's bothering them. But for some reason, the same kind of stuff's wrong with them, but they don't want to change because it's hard to change. And here's why we think it's hard to change. Because we're depending on our own ability to change us. And it's not in our ability to change ourselves. It's in the power of God that changes us. It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit that changes us. I've tried it my way. I've tried to change myself. I'm trying to discipline myself. I can't do it. It's only when I trust God and say, God, I need your help. God, I can't do this on my own. He shows up with his power and changes the situation. Many times when we're asking God to change circumstances, first he changes us. Because sometimes it's not your circumstances, it's you. And then when he changes you, if those circumstances still need to be changed, he can change the circumstances. Are you with me? We don't want to continue in this. Every chair needs repair. Look at your neighbor right now. Just find somebody that's close to you, look at them right in the face, and look down your nose at them. Just give them the best self-righteous look you can give them. Mm, I'm so much better than you. And you know what? Here's the truth. No one really believes that. No one really believes that. When people will say Christians are so self-righteous, no Christian I know really wants to be self-righteous. They really don't want to be. It's not who they really are. But what happens is sometimes we forget how much we need Jesus. And we grow in the Lord a little bit. We mature in the Lord a little bit. And then we start thinking we're somebody. We're something special. And let me tell you something. To God, you are someone special. You are very important. Let me tell you something. You are absolutely so important to the kingdom and purpose and plan of God. But you don't need to be too aware of that. You need to be more aware that without God, you are nothing. The Bible says he is, he is the vine. We are the branches and the father is the husbandman. And if we're not connected to that, uh, that vine, if our branch is connected to the vine, our branch will wither up and die. It will not be of any value. It will not have anything good about it. And that's the connection we need to always maintain, that connection that's flowing from the spirit of God to us, flowing from the word of God to us. This is what God wants for our lives because this is the life that bears the fruit of the Spirit. And we want that and need that in our lives. And getting used to and going through the motions spiritually just isn't going to get it done. It'll land us in a broken down, broken down spiritual place. And, and, and you say, well, why is it so important to be so on fire for Jesus? Why is that important? Well, I think it's important because, because number one, your relationship with God is very important. 
It's not just about you. See, we, a lot of us, we approach our relationship with God as if it's just about us. We don't approach it as if it's also about him. See, we, we approach this relationship we have with God as if I'm just in a relationship with God because of what God can do for me. He can forgive my sins. He can set me free and he can get me to heaven. Thank God. I'm so glad. And that's about the extent of your relationship with him. But you're forgetting there's someone else on the other side of this relationship. What if you treated your marriage like that? Janae, we're just going to be married. I'm so glad we're married because you can do so many good things for me. Are you all with me? But we're forgetting, listen, we're forgetting that you have to feed that relationship. God's on the other side of this relationship. What does he want from us? Dedication, commitment, prayer, praise. He wants our worship. He wants our devotion. He wants our love. Not because he demands it because he's God and he's made. No, he said, I'm not even making you servants anymore. You're more than servants. You're my kids. And I want to have this close, intimate relationship with you. So for you and for God, that relationship's very important. That it not just be a going through the motions relationship. Don't be one of those people who just turns to God with passion when you desperately desperately need something, be that person who desperately passionate about God every day of your life. Because here's the real problem. The real problem is when we don't have that kind of relationship with God, maybe it doesn't hurt us all that bad. Oh, maybe we're not everything we should be. Maybe, maybe we should be more passionate. Maybe we should be more loving. Maybe we should be more connected to God. Maybe we should study more. Maybe we should read more. Well, listen, When we don't do the full-on commitment to God, it's the people around us that are being hurt. It's the empty chair sitting next to you that could be filled with someone whose life is being changed because of the move of God in your life, but you're so going through the motions that you can't fill the chair because your chair is broke. And I'm just going to tell you, when we are believers in Jesus Christ and we're not sharing that with someone else, I think you can just basically say this, your chair's broke. Your chair's not working like it should be. Your chair's got a dysfunction. Your chair's broke down. But here's the awesome thing about the fact that we can get broke down sometimes in life. Uh, Here's the awesome thing about the fact that we can actually go through the motions. And here's the awesome thing about us getting into a place where we are not exactly what we need to be or we're not full on for God. All we have to do is turn our face to our Father and He'll provide the Holy Spirit which will change everything in our lives. We don't serve a God who has no hope. We serve a God who is filled with hope. And not only is He filled with hope, but He'll give you hope to be filled with. Come on. Come on, church. That's who we serve. As believers, we can sit in a chair for so long, it can become comfortable. And what used to be a pilot seat of a flight of faith adventure has now become a lazy boy recliner that we're just resting in. It's more important for us to have personal peace than it is to win our neighbor to Jesus. It's more important for us to have the the, the comfort of knowing we have Jesus than to actually give Jesus to someone else. 
We've got to get back in that pilot seat and say, no, Christianity is not some boring going through the motions thing. Christianity is a relationship. It's a lifestyle, and it's the most exciting lifestyle you could ever have because you're living a faith adventure. You're not going by feelings. You're not going by situations. You're not living by circumstances. No, you are living a faith adventure, this adventure that says God can do anything, and I want to be in on what he's going to do. I want to stand to my faith, and I want to believe God to save my family, and I want to believe God to provide for my needs, and I want to believe God to use my life to do something significant in this world. Are you with me this morning, church? Do you want God to do something like that in your life? You're going to have to get up off that recliner, get back in the seat of the pilot, and say, let's fly today. Let's fly. I want to read to you a story that really was interesting to me. And I want you to listen very intently to it, if you will. It was a story I read as I was studying for this. It's called The Life-Saving Station. And I think if we just really look at this, we can see how applicable this could be to us as believers and honestly to us as a church. On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, but the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea with no thought for themselves and they went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost some of those who were saved and various others in surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and their money and their effort for the support of its work new boats were brought and new crews trained and the little life-saving station grew and some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. So they felt that the more comfortable the place would be, it would be more helpful to those who needed refuge for the first time when they were rescued from the devastation of the shipwreck. They replaced the emergency cots with beds. And, and they put better furniture in the enlarged building. And now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members. And they, declare, uh, they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as a sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to see life on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there's a, a miniature boat in the room where the club initiates, or excuse me, initiations were held. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people, and they were dirty and sick. And the beautiful new club was in chaos. So the property committee immediately got together and they created a shower house built outside the club where victims of shipwreck could be cleaned up before brought in. At the next meeting, there was a, a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and hindered the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still even called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. So they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club. 
And yet another life-saving station had to be founded. History continued to repeat itself. And so if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. And I say that today to us, not to condemn us in any way. But for us to remember, for us to go back to when we were saved, if you are saved in this room today, to go back and remember what happened to you when you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk with Jesus. Something changed on the inside of you. Something shifted on the inside of you. The Bible calls it regeneration. And immediately you couldn't hold it into yourself. You had to tell somebody. Because that's the nature of a believer. And I think the church at large was created to be this life-saving station. We know it was because that's how Jesus established it 2,000 years ago. Let's not forget that Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's the only thing Jesus ever said he would build is the church. And it was built for the purpose of seeing souls come into relationship with him. It was built for the purpose of reconciling people who are in their sin back to a relationship with a father who loves them. But sin had separated them. And now the church stands as that, as that catalyst of introducing people to Jesus who is the mediator between God and man and can reconcile us back to him. Yet in some cases and in our own lives at times we find the fact that we've turned this Christian experience, this life-saving station into more of a club and a social gathering so much so that now some people don't even find it important to engage with at all. And the truth is when that happens to us it's not because we've gotten some kind of revelation it's because we've lost some revelation it's time for us as the church to get the boat out again it's time for us to get to the church and say we don't need to hire people to do this this is what we were created for this is what God saved me for I remember when my life was rocky I remember when I was drowning in that sea of sin I remember when that was going on and somebody who knew Jesus took that boat and they come out there and they threw me a lifesaver and they drew me back in to, to the boat and took me into a place of safety he took me into a place that I could get whole took me into a place where I could be made well let's remember again that we are not a club. We are not a social gathering. We are a life-saving station. And your neighbors and your family and your friends need you to throw them a line. What is the potential of the chair around you that is empty? What life could be changed? What heart could be renovated? What marriage could be healed? You say, what in the world did all of that have to do with Eli and his chair? Every chair needs repair. Every one of us have something we need to work on. Everyone, every one of us have something we need God to work on in us. Amen. Every one of us, including me, including Janae, including the staff of this, the team and, 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 and what we do, the people who you think, man, they must really be committed to God. Yeah, we are, but we also need God to change things in us just like God needs to change things in you. We're all human, amen?
Doesn't mean we should be defeated. Doesn't mean we shouldn't give in to sin. We shouldn't walk around with our head down. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, that's not, the, that's not theology. You're a sinner who, you were a sinner who God regenerated and saved and brought you into his family. You're in a different family now than you were before. But you're not perfect. And your repair, your chair needs repair. Most of us need to just fix our chair totally by throwing it out and getting a new one. See, every chair needs repair. No one wants to be spiritually mediocre. No one wants to be to lose purpose in life. However, life has a way of guiding us to this place, usually using the status quo or the comfort zone and a mindset that says, if I just keep my head down, if I, if I just keep my head down and just find a place of comfort, life will be better and I'll be happy. But when we realize that that's where we are. Everybody who realizes that is where they are. They want out. They want to change. They want God to do something. The problem and sad thing is, is we most of us don't realize because we've gotten so used to it. We don't realize where we are. And that's where Eli was. Eli was a priest and a leader in a time where Israel didn't have kings. God was their king, and they had judges that God chose to, to appoint to give them you know, their leadership. And so Eli was a priest and a leader at that time, and he was a leader in Israel for 40 years. So you can assume that when Levi was first called, and he wasn't just called individually, his whole family was called because in Israel, Levi was a part of, I mean, excuse me, Eli was a part of the tribe who was called out as the tribe that would go before God to be a priest or to be a person of ministry. And so his family, this was a family calling, and he was living this out. And when he came of age and began to be the priest, he, you, you have to know that he was inspired. You have to know he was, he was empowered by God. And, and you have to know this because you see it in the text that we just read. Because it said when he was sitting in his chair on the road waiting for a message to come to him from the battlefield. Because he was, his heart was afraid for the ark of God. In other words, there was a lingering fire in him that said, oh God, what have we done? We've put the ark in harm's way. He knew it. He remembered it. It was like spiritual muscle memory. He had this passionate relationship with God at one point in his life. But over time, 40 years, at this point we read about him, he was 98 years old. He could barely see. His vision was gone. And he had lost his way. And what we read about Eli is we read he was the priest that was on duty when uh, 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 Hannah came and she said, she said, I, I don't have a child. And she prayed to God, give me a child. And God gave her a child, Samuel. And Eli was the person who prophesied over her and blessed her and said, you go home. God's going to give you what you asked for. And he did. And Samuel was brought back. And so here's Eli. Now he's raising Samuel, who was a, per, who was a child given to the temple of God. Because Hannah said, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And so she brought him back. And he's being raised in this temple, in this atmosphere around this priest. Eli was 
a man of wisdom at one point in his life. He was a man of courage at one point in his life. He was a man that cared at one point in his life. But I think as life does, it kind of drains us. It, it kind of hurts us. It's, it, we can get offended and we can be hurt and we can go through some things that are hard and difficult. We don't understand why and, and we have to extend our faith to God. And I believe that sometimes it can wear us down. I believe sometimes it can get us to a place where we just want to give up. We just want to throw our hands in the air and we just want to say, I don't understand this. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get why this is not working or why this is not going or why people are this or why people, I don't get it, God. I, I'm, I'm down. And I think over a period of time, he got tired. He got tired of people. He got tired of leading people. He got tired. He got tired of the Israelites who would turn to God when they needed something. But as soon as God came through for them, they'd turn their back on God and start picking up the idols from countries around them. And then God would have to allow them to be judged and he'd bring another country in to judge them. And that's what was happening in this situation. The Philistines were coming down to defeat the Israelites. And the reason they were able to defeat them is because they had turned their back on God and begin to serve other gods and begin to be distracted by the things of this world. And Eli's just fed up. He's just tired and I can't take it anymore. And I believe he just got to that place and he got cold with God. Because the Bible says at that period of time there was no, not any real dreams or revelations or visions given. Because I don't think God had somebody he could speak to. Because Eli had grown cold. And then this boy came to the temple. Samuel. And let me just tell you something. God is always about changing the recliner. God is always about looking at broken situations and healing them. God is always about looking at lukewarm situations and ex extinguishing uh, the, 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 the bad and erupting in the good with people. God is always about giving us revival and renewal and restoration. He's always for you. He always wants you to succeed. He always wants to give you life. He always wants to bring blessing to you and through you. That's God's heart for you. That's what God wants for you. But it's your choice and it's my choice as to whether or not we will follow his lead. And Eli had become this person who had just gotten so so cold and so hard that he wasn't even listening to God. When Samuel was born, when Hannah came to the temple, the Bible says in chapter 1 that Eli was sitting on his seat in the temple and he was watching her pray. He thought she was drunk, but he was sitting in position. He was sitting doing his job. He was sitting that something was going on and something was awry in the whole operation of the temple. Something was awry in the way people were acting and the way people were doing. He had two sons. Hophni and Phinehas, and they were wicked. They were also priests. They were also priests. Listen to me very carefully. God, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it now because I believe it's prophetic. I believe God spoke this to me. In other words, I believe what I'm about to say to you is prophetic. I believe God, this is not just a message to you. I believe this is a, a moment in time where God is saying, this is important, hear this. His boys... His sons, his legacy, his generation after him were corrupting the temple. They were using the operations of the temple to enrich themselves. They were fattening themselves up by taking from the people what they were supposed to be giving to God. 
And then they were having sexually promiscuous lives with women who would gather around the temple. Using their position, using their situation for their own good. They were living evil and wicked lives. And the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear that Levi, or excuse me, Eli went to them. And he said to them, guys, I'm hearing reports of your behavior. This is not good. This is not good. This is not what God wants. This is not how things are set up. You have to stop this. You have to repent. But the Bible says when judgment came and a prophet came to Eli and said, your house is going to be judged and you're going to be judged. Literally, the judgment on Eli's house was no one's going to get old in your house anymore. They're all going to die early. And they're not going to be in charge of priestly things anymore. I'm going to get someone else to do it. And here's why. He said something to his sons. But the Bible said the reason the judgment came was because he would not restrain them. He refused to do anything about it. He refused to give them consequences for their actions. He refused to set them down out of their role and out of their position. He refused it. He just let them keep going. He gave them a little warning, but he let them keep doing what they were doing. And I think a little part of him was in that place because he had made compromises of his own. And I'm challenging us today to wake up to the things of God. A scripture that has been alive and awake in us recently is that Romans chapter 13, or yeah, chapter 13 that says that, that the night is far spent. He, he says, it's time to wake up. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us put off the works of darkness and let's put on the armor of light. He was saying to us, stop allowing the generations to just go off into sin. Stop even enabling and empowering the generations to just go off in sin by our lack of restraint, by our compromise, by our joining ourselves with it, even if by omission, not commission. Let me tell you something. What I feel like the Holy Spirit told me is I was just beginning to preach this message. Revival is going to come to America. But it's amazing the reason for it. The reason for it isn't inspiration from God, but because the church has been so asleep that the world is forcing us to wake up. Because we're coming to the realization that we cannot continue to live this Christian comfortable life. Are you with me? And see any change. We're losing people over this. We're losing people over this spiritual mediocrity, this spiritual lukewarmness. They're dropping out of the faith. They're dropping out of church. They're dropping out of their spiritual walk. We've got to get that inspiration back. We've got to get back in that pilot seat, that faith adventure, that living their life, that living that life for the kingdom. Come on. Eli, Eli had to be switched out in order for things to get better. So here's Eli. He's sitting there. What they did is Philistines attacked Israel. They, they, they said, man, God did not protect us. 30,000 of us got killed. Why did this happen? And so they had the big idea to go get the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant and take it on the battlefield with them, which was something that they would do in times gone by if the Holy Spirit told them to lead out with the, with the, with the Ark. But this time, they weren't in relationship with God. They were denying God. They were in relationship with other gods. Gods, so-called gods and when they began to carry that ark out they were carrying it out as if it was some kind of good luck charm 
Not it was a relationship they had with a God who was all-powerful. And so when they took it out there, here's what happened. Phinehas got killed. Hophni got killed. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen. So when they came back and they told the story, that's what we read at the end of the text. There was a great cry because not only were the two priests killed, but the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. And that's why he's sitting in this chair and his chair was completely broken. It was no longer a position in the house of God. It was no longer a place of passion and purpose. But now he was just sitting in a chair of fear, thinking to himself, what have I done? What have I allowed? And exactly what he thought would happen, happened. They came back and gave him the report. They have stolen the Ark of the Covenant. And he flipped back in his chair and broke his neck and died. But here's the powerful thing about God. And this is why I say revival is coming. Get ready. Revival is coming. Get ready. Because even though the main stage and the spotlight was on a fallen priest. There was a Samuel waiting in the background. And one of the greatest seasons in the nation of Israel was about to happen because King David was on the way. And Samuel the prophet, that little boy in the temple, was the one who ended up anointing the king who would be the king who would bring the Messiah. And I'm telling you, revival is coming if we'll get a hold of it. But there's some things we have to do. Number one, we have to repent. We have to realize first, realize that, that, that we need help. We need things to change. We need to be stirred up. We need to be impassioned. The next thing we need to do is we need to repent, which simply means to turn from what we're thinking and turn in the direction of God's way of thinking. That's literally all that it means. And then, then God will do this. He always does this. When we realize and repent, God does this this he renews and he restores every single time we realize and repent God renews and restores listen to me church and I'm closing we are not Eli and we're not going to be Eli Eli started out good and he was still a good man trying to do good when he died, he still, he still knew the right things to do. He still knew the right things to say. He still realized what was right and what was wrong. But he had just become so impotent, so powerless, because he had allowed his relationship with God to grow cold and to become broken. His chair needed repair. He needed to go back to the temple. He needed to repent. Say, God, I'm, I'm sorry I let this happen. He needed to go back and say, I want you, God, more than I want the opinion of others, more than I want my kids to like me, more than I want everybody to just live their lives more than I want to be distracted by other things more than any of that see because the problem is he didn't just get old in age he got old in his spirit and he gave up and when he gave up he didn't realize at the time what he was giving up 
Phinehas, one of his sons, had a wife. And she was pregnant. And when the news came back, when the news came back that Phinehas had been killed and the Ark of the Covenant had been stolen, she went into labor and she began to have this baby. And the baby was born. She wouldn't even look at it. And the midwife said to her, I know it's hard time, but God has given you a son. Rejoice, God has given you a son. And she wouldn't even look at him, but she named him. And she named him Ichabod. And the name Ichabod means the glory of God has left us. And in that moment of her life, I'm sure that's how she felt. But it wouldn't be long, just a few years. And there'd be a king who would say the ark of the Lord belongs in Jerusalem. And he would go get it. And he took tons of people with him. And the Bible said that he began to rejoice in the Lord. He would take seven steps and then they would just have a rejoicing party that God is coming back. God is coming back. God is coming back. Church, let that be our cry. Let that be our passion. That no matter what's happening in this world and no matter how cold we may have been and no matter where we've let our Christian life go, listen to me. He's coming back. The Holy Spirit is coming. Revival is coming. We're not going to let it go. These chairs will be filled. We'll be pulling every chair we got out and putting it in this room. We'll be doing multiple services. We'll be adding things. Why? Because the revival is coming. It's coming. But it's only coming if we'll get our chair repaired. If we'll get ourselves in line with the will of God, in line with the purpose of God, and begin to live this faith adventure again. How many of you want God to use you to bring back the power of God, the manifestation of God, the revival of God on this house? There are some cool things happening. We're getting some great reports. But we need God more. We need change more. So I want all of us. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to Him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.